How's it going, everybody? Last saw company of the year. Are you happy? Are you sad? Happy to be done with school? Sad this is the last saw company of the year? Anybody uh, grades hanging on a thread? Yeah? You right there. What are you doing here, bro? Should you be studying? <laughs> Come on, bro. Hey, man, don't worry. I'm only going to preach like two hours tonight. So, yeah. Hey, if you... <laughs> My name's Steven. I'm glad you guys are here at Saw Company. If this is your first time, welcome to the last Saw Company of the year. Yeah, you missed a whole year, but uh, we'll hit you next year. Hey, if you're here this summer, we're going to be hanging out too, so don't worry about that. Uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and uh, open up to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is where we're going to be. We are going to be ending our series and our year looking uh, at lessons of the life of David. Um, yeah, hopefully you've learned some some valuable lessons from the life of David. We've looked at Josiah taught us that God sees the heart. Man, what a great sermon that was. And talked saw that God can slay giants. We looked at God gives us friendship and community. And then today we're going to look that God has mercy. God has mercy. I want to start off by reading a top ten list of the songs of the 2010s. Number 10. <laughs> Sex on Fire, Kings of Leon. Do you guys remember that song? Yeah, let's move on. All right. Uh, <laughs> should have proofread this before I typed it in. Uh, number 9. This is 2010, so I figured it, like, for you guys, like, middle school, right? Okay, yeah, 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 okay. Number nine, Forget You, CeeLo Green. This is the most played songs in 2010. Forget you. Uh, some of these are going to be inappropriate. I should have thought about this. Counting Stars, number eight by One Republics. I'll be counting stuff. I'm not going to sing them all. Number seven, Bruno Mars with Uptown Funk. Number six, Black Eyed Peas, I Got a Feeling. Nice. All right, number five, They Had a Feeling, but number five, Justin Timberlake, Can't Stop the Feeling. Can't stop the <laughs> Number four, that was a bad joke. Uh, Get Lucky, Daft Punk. Yeah. I'm up all night. Okay. Uh, I'm married. Uh, number three, moves like Jagger, Maroon Five. I got them. I said I wasn't gonna sing them all, but then I started singing them all. Can't help myself. Number two, Adele with. Which one? No. Rolling in the deep. Yeah. All right. I nailed that note. And number one most played song in the 2010s. Anyone know it? Nope. By a long shot. What do you want to know? Who? Nope. I'm going to tell you if you stop talking. Jeez. Pharrell Williams. Happy. Man, you're like, I just got that song out of my head. 
That is the top 10 most played songs in the 2010s. <laughs> and, here, <laughs> and here's my point, ready? Have you ever noticed how a song can like teleport you back right to where you like first heard that song? Like when you first like began to listen to that song, it takes you back to a moment. You can even like songs have the ability to bring us back to the very feelings that we felt in those moments. Have you ever noticed that? Songs tell us even stories. They communicate much more than music. Man, it's like, I don't know, just like all of these feelings and emotions can come back into it. Like, for example, for me, there's like two songs that I can think of. Like if you played uh, Leon Bridges' Coming Home. I would be taken back to the dance floor with my wife in our first dance. And as we, I, I'm just there. I'm back there. I see the lights. I see the dress. It's beautiful. It's a moment. I'm, I'm back. I got the butterflies in my stomach, all that stuff. Blah, blah, blah. But it's also like, man, in good and happy moments, but also like hard moments too. Like, for example, I don't, some of you guys are going to feel theology police on me, but like, the song Reckless Love. I remember being in a place of, like, severe, like, man, just, like, anxiety, feeling really, like, depressed, um, feeling like I had, like, even just, like, hidden sin that I wasn't telling people about. When I heard this song for the first time, and I'm driving to Orlando, because I gotta have to go back and forth to Orlando, and I just remember hearing this song, and I, like, had to pull over on the side. I just started bawling. And I, I hear that song, and I'm just taken back immediate to that moment. Uh, or maybe, maybe, like, you have songs like that. In your happy moments, in your sad moments, maybe for you it's like you listen to, I don't know, Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license, and you're like, you're like, my stupid ex. <laughs> you're sitting in the parking lot of a McDonald's crying. I got my driver's license. <laughs> I'm talking about the guys in the room, not the girls. Uh, <laughs> Why do guys really like singing Olivia Rodrigo? Uh, yeah. Here's what we see in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, we see King David. He writes a confession. He writes a prayer. He writes a poem. It's like a song that any time it was recited, I'm sure, brought him back to one moment. One specific scene in his life. Anytime Psalm 51 was brought up, anytime he heard it, anytime he read it in the journal where he wrote it down, he was brought back and he could feel the feelings of that exact moment of what he went through. And I believe became one of the most important psalms in his life. And I believe, as we read it, that this psalm, this song, should become our song. At Salt Company, and for you individually this summer, my hope is that this psalm becomes the soundtrack of not just your summer, but your life. Let's read Psalm 51 and see what David wrote and why it was so important to him and why I think it's so important to us. Psalm 51. Got to find it. Here we go. Psalm 51 says this. Be 
gracious to me, God. I'm going to read it. It's, it's 19 verses, okay? So here we go. Be gracious to me, God. Got the KJV. Have mercy on me, God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass judgment on me, when you pass sentence on me. And you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew, my, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. And sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and the sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You don't want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice pleasing to you, God, is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. Last two verses. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in a righteous sacrifice. Whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. What is this song, this psalm? What is it about? Why does this bring up memories in David's mind? And why is this the psalm that we should sing over and over and over again? Well, we have to look back a little bit to what caused David to write this psalm. You can read about it in 2 Samuel uh, 11, but I'm just going to kind of recap the story for you. After David has been a pretty successful king, he's conquered a a lot of the enemies. He's living large. He's written some songs. He's doing pretty well. He's living in the kingdom. There's a lot of peace. And uh, he sends off the the armies out to war to ensure the borders, to keep driving the enemy away. But David doesn't join the army, stays back, and he kind of chills. It's springtime. It's kind of like right now. Weather's nice. It's cool out. Cool the day. You know, like when it sun starts, sets, and it's cool. And David goes out into his his balcony, and some of you know this story. David, at the height of his life, will make a decision that will bring him to the lowest point of his life. He sees a girl in the distance named Bathsheba, and she's bathing, and David sees her and wants to sleep with her. And so he does, because he's king. No questions asked, not even to her. And afterwards, he just sends her away. And he's the king, so he keeps living his life. 
as if nothing happened. When one day, a couple weeks later, most likely a couple weeks later, after he thinks this is just like a one-night thing, he gets a text. <laughs> He's hanging with the boy. What's going on? Gets a text, says, I'm late. David's like, late? I didn't know we were hanging out. Like, when are you getting here? Like, what? What do you mean you're late? I'm pregnant. And instantly David's gut drops. And he's reminded of the sin and shame of that moment that he thought was just a moment that was harmless now is bringing him a lot of heartache, nervousness, and anxiety. And he feels it. And I feel like we've probably felt this way too when we're confronted about maybe the worst mistake of our life. Our gut drops. Maybe you do what I've done in the past when I'm faced with my sin, my shame, and my gut reaction is to how can I make this go away without anyone ever knowing what I did? How do I make sure no one knows the worst thing about me. So what does David do in this low moment? He tries to dig himself out of it. What does he do? Well, let me try to cover this up. How can I make this right? He starts thinking. She's pregnant. Well, here's what I'll do. I'll just get her husband. He's out in war. Maybe I'll, I'll just get him to come home. Sleep with her. No one will ever know. It's just like they had a baby. The only person that knows is me and Bathsheba, she won't tell anybody. So what does he do? He calls Uriah's boss, the, the leader of that army, and he's like, hey, Joab. Like, hey, man, no, I need a favor, no questions asked. Joab's like, all right, dude, you're the king, whatever. What, what do you need? He's like, send me Uriah. He's like, all right. So Uriah shows up to the palace. And David, you can read about it, he just starts making small talk. He's like, how's the fighting going? You know, like. When you've got something really on your heart that you hope no one brings up, that you hope no one talks about, and you're saying words out of your mouth, but you don't even know the words that are coming out of your mouth. You're just hoping he doesn't find out what's really going on. David tells you, right, hey, man, dude, take a load off. You're home from war. Go home. Man, enjoy your wife. Enjoy marriage. And Uriah, being the honorable man that he is, doesn't do it. He's like, man, if, if my friends and my co-workers are out to war, I'm not going to go home and enjoy life. So Uriah sleeps on the palace floor. People find him sleeping on the floor the next day. So they go up to David, like, hey, man, Uriah didn't go home and sleep with his wife. And David's like, crap. Now i got to come up with another plan. How do I dig myself out of this one? And he begins to go deeper, more lies, more deception. So he brings back Uriah, and he pulls out the nicest bottle from the top shelf. Man, let's, let's just have some fun tonight, Uriah. Let's drink a little bit. So he gets the bottle of Patron, do a little bit of shots on the table. Hey, we're just enjoying life. This is great. Uriah gets drunk because David gets him drunk, hoping that he would sleep. And what happens? 
Uriah, even in his drunken stupor, seems to be more honorable than the king of Israel. He just falls asleep again, doesn't go home with his wife. And David, turn after turn, realizing that he can't dig himself out of this, but he can't tell anyone. So what do I do? I just got to cover it up with more lies. And so finally, David knows, I know how to get rid of this problem, this, this sin to make sure no one finds out. Calls up his boy Joab, the leader of the army, king, says, hey, man, got to tell you, here's another command. Again, don't ask any questions. Joab's like, what's up, boss? Send Uriah to the fiercest part of the battle, and right before they get up to the battle, pull the troops away. So he does. Uriah out on the battlefield, the husband of Bathsheba, is out on the battlefield, and as he goes valiantly to fight, the armies pull away, and Uriah dies right there on the battlefield. David gets word back from the general, Uriah's dead, and David thinks, thank God, it's over. I've covered it up. I've lied my way out of this. No one will ever know. <sighs> I can live in peace. This low moment figured my way out of this until maybe a little while after David gets a knock on the door it's Nathan the pastor pastor the prophet you ever seen just like like a, a church staff member or a pastor out in public and you're like what are you <laughs> Oh, God, <laughs> am I doing everything right? What am I wearing? <laughs> like, I didn't know you left the church. <laughs> we were out at the football game, like, walking around Midtown afterwards. And I, was like, I feel like people were, like, seeing me from the church. But what are you doing here? <laughs> Nathan shows up, and David probably starts sweating. Maybe, like, if you saw me out in public, you know, like, like oh, God. <laughs> David's like, what? Uh, Nathan, what's going on, man? What, what do you want? Probably that gut, you know, when you're carrying sin that you want no one to know, and it's the only thing that you're thinking about, and you're thinking that everyone else is thinking about the thing that you're thinking about, but no one could know the thing that you're thinking about because only you know the thing that you're thinking about, but you can't stop thinking about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so he's sitting there. Nathan's like, hey, man, I, I just gotta, I got, there's an issue in the kingdom, and I need your help as a judge. That's what the king does. It helps decide uh, like court rulings and uh, in the kingdom you gotta you gotta be the one who who judges fairly and wisely and I need your help and David's probably like Phew. yeah dude I can do that that's pretty routine that's pretty normal and so he's like what's going on man Nathan's like yeah we got this problem okay there's this guy he's really rich okay David's like okay go on he's like man he's got a ton of sheep you 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 you've dealt with sheep before David's like yep shepherd thanks and He's like, man, you've got a bunch of sheep, or this rich guy's got a bunch of sheep. And he, there was another person who wasn't rich. She was poor. Her name was Mary. She had this little lamb. It was white as snow. And she loved this little lamb. And it was like her pet. You know those weird people who have animals that are like pets? Where is she? 
Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> Frankie, what's up? I was waiting for, I thought he was going to be here. And the sheep was like her best friend. She slept with this sheep. She was like, man, let, I'm going to eat with this sheep. I'm going to let her drink after my cup. Like, this is, this, is my, this is my best friend. This is my sheep. So the rich man, tons of sheep, one little poor girl named Mary, one sheep, okay? And the rich man, he had, he had a visitor come into town, one of his friends. It's like custom to give them a thing of meal. But the rich man, he didn't want to offer one of his sheep. So what does he do? He goes to Mary, takes her one lamb. Kills it. Makes a nice lamb roast for his visitor. Nathan looks at David and goes, what do we do about this? And David, because he's a, he's a good king, honorable king, just king, wise king, who loves sheep, looks at Nathan. And he's got a, he's got a big old vein on his head. He starts to flex a little bit because he's so pissed off because he's like are you are you serious are you kidding me guy who had tons of sheep you're gonna take that one little sheep he's gonna kill it and he thinks he can get away with this who does he think he is you know we we need to do what is just punishment he has to pay the penalty for stealing and exploiting this one poor girl sheep. And it, the, the, the penalty for this in the Old Testament was you had to pay it fourfold, four times over. He needs to pay her what is due. He must be punished for this crime. Nathan's like, careful, David. Careful. He's like, what? Nathan looks at David square in the eye and goes, guess what? Before you cast punishment, you got to know something about this story. You are that man. You are that man. funny how often we will cast judgment on other people's sin and it is so offensive to us they deserve punishment they deserve to be get what they owe and internally we've got our own and in one moment David goes from his whole house of cards He's built together so intricately all this web of lies, and it comes crumbling down. Because he is found out. His sin is exposed, and Nathan tells him, God has seen everything that you have done. Everything. And there will be punishment. There will be consequences. I remember as a kid when my dad would come home from work and 
this is when I was little. I just like would wait for him to come home, and he would see my mom, and he would start changing. And here's what I would do. This is going to sound really weird. Let me preface this because that's going to sound too weird. Uh, every now and then we'd like watch like WWE wrestling. Anybody? Tyler Blush in the house? <laughs> is he not here? Oh, what's up, dude? You love WWE, bro, right? Eh, kind of. Not really. All right. <laughs> I thought someone did. Anyways. Well, they would wear like these like Speedo looking things. And me and my dad would always just wrestle when he would come home. On their bed, like king size bed, we called it the squared circle, and and I knew they would come. So so here's what I would do. <laughs> so now hopefully it doesn't sound as creepy. I would run into my room and I would like get my whitey tighties on, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and I would br- b- and I, yeah, and this is when I was little, you know, like 15, and <laughs> and I would. Uh, and I would, like, the hallway, like, you could come out of the room and in the hallway, and you could, like, and I could see him across the house. And I, I, we would just, like, make eye contact. And then I would just start sprinting at him. And then we would start, like, I would just start wrestling him up. And, like, all the wrestling stuff. And uh, <laughs> at some point in the wrestling, whenever my dad wanted it to be over, like, if he was, like, getting tired of it, it, it was pretty easy for him. He would just pin me down completely with his strength. He's much stronger than I am, much bigger than I am. And he would pin me down because I didn't have a shirt on. And then he would just like start to just like on my stomach to the point where it tickles so bad where you're about to pee your pants. And I like there's no way for me to break loose. He's so much bigger than I am. So much stronger. And I like, in a moment, I'm like exposed. I am weak. I am defeated. There's only one thing that I can do to get out of this situation before I pee my pants, okay? There's only one thing I can do. I can't outmuscle him. I can't get my way out of it. I am completely vulnerable. There's only one thing that I can do to get out of this situation. Mercy, have mercy. I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't mean to attack you. Have mercy on me, please. Uncle, uncle. And he went like, uncle, uncle. And I knew my dad. He, he would let me go. And I would be free and we would laugh and have a good time. In this moment, David is completely exposed. He is completely defeated. He is completely pinned down by the weight of who God is. There is no way to get out of this anymore. He's lost. He's defeated. God sees all of his sin. And David knows there's there's no way out of this. There's no way. I can't work my way. I can't muscle my way out of this. I'm done. I'm out. So what does David do? It's where we get Psalm 51. In the first line of Psalm 51, be gracious to me, God. In the KJV, Lord, have mercy. 
have mercy. David knows something about God that you have to know tonight. He knows, he knows something about himself that you have to know tonight. Two things that David knows that you have to walk out of this building knowing. Two things. The first one is this. David knows who he is. David knows who he is. The reality of who you are is probably the most important thing about you, what makes you you. Oftentimes, culture will say that you get to dictate whatever your identity is. What your feeling is, how you feel dictates who you are. But that's not true. You are who you are. You can't change who you are. Your identity is set. And scripture from the beginning to the end tells us who we are in our nature. Just naturally, who you are. Scripture is very clear. The Bible is very clear about who we are. And David notes who he is. Look at verse 6. Or excuse me, uh, look at verse 5. David says, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. It's interesting. When I was born. He doesn't say, indeed, I was guilty when I committed the worst sin of my life. He says, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. It keeps going. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Scripture tells us who we are in of ourselves in our nature. We are sinners. From the beginning of time, we've got a curse. We've got a sickness. We're broken. We were born into brokenness. And so David was not a sinner when he committed the sin that wrecked his life. No, his life was marked by sin because he was a sinner. Does that make sense? He didn't sin, and that made it, he actually already was, a, the sin that he committed was just a product of who he was, which is really important. Because I think we need to, we have to realize this fact. That God does not want you to think that you need to be better. This is not a try hard not to sin, here's the Bible. No, God doesn't desire you to be better. God desires for you to realize you're broken. From your very birth, you're broken. You have willingly walked into this brokenness. You have willingly disobeyed. And this is our curse. And he wants you to realize you're broken 
Because when people realize they're broken, they're ready to receive whatever it takes to be made whole. Which leads us to number two, the second thing that David knows, which may be more important than knowing who he is. David knows this. David knows who God is. David knows who he is. He is a sinner. But Psalm 51 shows us that David knows who God is. Look at this. Look at verse uh, 1 again. Be gracious to me, God, according to what? Be gracious to me, God. I've, I've deserved it. I've done enough things for you. Remember Goliath? I did that. No, actually, you did uh, God, I'm good enough. I've done enough. According to what? God, be gracious to me according to maybe by chance that you'll just this one. No. All right. Flip and read verse 1 again, okay? Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. David knows who he is before God. I am a sinner. But David also knows who God is. He's heard the stories. He knows that God is gracious. He knows that God is faithful. He knows that God, in the very beginning, with his breath, breathed grace, undeserved favor, by just whispering all creation into being. David knows the stories that by grace, God called out Abraham to be a part of his rescue mission of restoring all the earth. David knows the stories of Moses who by God's grace chose to free the people of Israel. God know, David knows the stories of God's grace continually loving the people of Israel even though they're falling constantly into sin and idolatry. He knows the story of faithful love, how God provides a sacrifice of a lamb for them to have atoned sin so that they could have relationship with God in the desert so that God could tabernacle among him. David knows the stories of Joshua. He, he, he knows God, but he doesn't just know the stories. He knows God himself. He, never, he didn't just read the stories. David was a part of the stories. He knew God in, in the pastures. He experienced God's grace firsthand. His love, his faithfulness. He knew his unworthiness, but he knew God's grace to have relationship with these people. He knew his grace on his life, undeserved favor. How did David become king? He was the, the, this tall. God chose him. It was grace. He knew it himself. David knew of God's mercy. He knew it well. And David now knows, even in this moment, a greater, grander, more magnificent, more beautiful view of God's mercy. And he cries out to God for it. David knows that God will be faithful to his people. He's made a covenant with his people. And David knows in his deepest moment, he is a sinner. And so he cries out to a faithful, loving God who is compassionate. Exodus 34, it's who God is, abounding in faithful love. 
compassionate, slow to anger. And so he cries out, mercy. God, I, I know your character. And I know who I am. Have mercy on me. Please. David knows his sin, and he knows how to be saved. God's mercy. Do you? Do, do you know God's mercy firsthand? Or do you think maybe that your sin will just be unseen? Do you, like David early on, Hope that God just doesn't see your sin, doesn't see my sin, my brokenness. Maybe God is so busy with everybody else that he just skips over that thing that you did last week, last year, as a kid. The pride, the brokenness, the lie, the cheating, the thing you stole. you think it'll just be unseen? Or do you just think that God is like a disappointed Santa Claus in the sky? Like, ah, oh, bummer. You sinned. Shoot. Just disappointed in you. And then life just goes on. No, here, here's the truth. God's not just a disappointed Santa Claus up in the sky that just looks a little disappointed at your sin. And he doesn't not see your sin. No, your sin is far worse than you think. Your sin is far worse to God than you think. God is so holy, so righteous, so perfect. Just smallest drop of sin. He just wants separate himself completely, pour out his wrath because of his holiness, his, his righteousness, his justice. He cast people out for eating fruit solely due to your direct disobedience to him. Your sin is far worse than you could think, but I did not come to just tell you that because though your sin is far worse than you could ever think, God's mercy is far greater than you could ever imagine. God has mercy to save sinners. No matter how deep the sin is, no matter how big your guilt is, your rap sheet, the debt that you owe to God, no matter how big that list is, your guilt, God's grace is deeper than that. He will extend mercy to even the worst sinner. And that's the lesson that we learn from the life of David. This is what we learn from King David's life. It's not how to be a great godly king. It's how the one true God had grace on a sinner. How he extended mercy to a person who murdered. Sexual sin, lying. In the worst possible moment, in the lowest possible moment, God doesn't pour out judgment and wrath, but he 
puts out his hand. says, if you cry mercy, I will take you from the lowest of pits and I will pull you out of it. You can't get out on your own. You can't fight this. All you have to do is cry out mercy. That's the lesson that we learned from the life of David. We learn who the true king is. It's not David. His life just pointed to the true king. A king who would step down from heaven and who would live his life perfectly in submission to the Father's will, complete obedience. And he would live his life as a spotless lamb. And then Jesus, God's own son, would be lifted up. To be killed on a cross. To be crucified. To be crushed. Why? Why would God be lifted up and killed? Because those who were low on the ground in their sin could look up to a cross and to see what their sin cost, but to see the love of God that runs deeper than any of their guilt. To look and see that if all they do is cry, mercy, that God would save sinners. That's what we learn from the life of David. That God has mercy to save sinners like David and like me and like you. We need the mercy of God. We need the mercy of God. Not only to save you from your sin, but to change you from your sin. This is a song that you don't sing once. Psalm 51, you don't read once. You read over and over again. And maybe this is going to be the first time that you get to sing it. God, have mercy on me. But maybe you walked into Saul Company, you need to sing this song again. God, have mercy on me again. Look, look at the verbs in this verse. I'm done, I swear. Look at the verbs in this verse. Who's doing the action? Verse 7, purify me, wash me. Verse 9, turn your face away from me. Create a clean heart in me. Restore me. Sustain me. Save me. Open my lips. Who's doing the work? It's God. David just has to get him into a place where he's experiencing the mercy of God. He's saying, God, change me by your grace. You're not just saved by grace. You're changed by grace. This is a song that we sing to ourselves, and this is a song that we sing over and 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 over. And it's a song we sing to ourselves, but it's also a song that we sing to the world. God, have mercy on me. Last, last Salt Company, I, uh, last year, last Salt Company of the year, and I'm done, I swear. Uh, I got up on stage and I got to share that me and my wife were pregnant. We're having a baby. It was really exciting. And it was fun. It was like, man, there was new life that is like, that is happening, that is possible, that is 
man, the life that could be. I just imagine what could Amos look like? And it's fun to imagine new life, a new baby. Here's what's cooler. This year, I, Amos is here. He's alive. He's breathing. I get to see him. I don't just think about new life. I get to see it. I get to laugh with him, enjoy it. I get to show him off to the world. I don't just know that true life and new life is possible. I experience it on a daily basis. Here's what's cool. This Sunday, 13 plus people are getting baptized. I, I don't know how many people total. Is it 13? How many? 17? My goodness. 17 people. Here's what's cool. This here, Psalm 51 tells us this. We are sinners and God saves sinners. New life is possible. And we expect it. We hope for it. Here's what's cooler than that. We see it. We experience it. This Sunday, we get to experience people who have experienced new life in God. We don't just talk about God's grace. We experience it. We don't just talk about love. We experience it. And we sing about it. And we sing it to the world. And we get to rejoice this Sunday. And maybe someone in here is like, I, I know I've, I've never heard this song, but I know I need this song of mercy. I want to sing this song. I, I need to hear God's mercy on my life. And I want to proclaim to the world that, yes, I know I'm a sinner, but I also know something new tonight, that God saves sinners like me. And God, would you have mercy, please? And here's what's true. If you cry out with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus took your sin, you can be saved. And this is the song that we sing to the world because guess what? The world is broken and in need of a Savior. And what do we do? We gotta sing the song. We gotta sing the song of mercy. Let's stand, let's pray, and let's sing this song that is so good, that is so sweet, the song of grace, the song of God's faithful love, the God who though we were dead in our sin, made us alive together in Christ, that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the song that we sing, Salt Company. This is the song that we cherish, and this is the song that I pray that we sing all summer long, and we sing our entire life long. God, we pray tonight, have mercy on us sinners. And now we can proclaim that we were once sinners. That's not even who we are anymore. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. What a sweet song.